this is something that is close to my heart because I was privileged to have church modeled at home. Um, I, I realized this when I was in varsity, and I remember speaking to a friend, and this person had been very hurt in church and had a very negative view of church and, and uh, didn't want to do what he called, quote unquote, institutionalized church, didn't want to do church in a building or with a name to it. And um, there's plus and minus pros and cons to that argument. We're not going to get into that tonight. But then it dawned on me when I went home as I was ministering to this person and I realized, you know, my, my church history hasn't been that fantastic as well. You know, I've been in a, if you've been in church long enough, you've probably seen the good, the bad, and the ugly by now. Amen? Anyway, uh, you know, I was, in a, I was in a part of a youth ministry and we had a, a youth leader who promised us things and me and my class you know, we were trained as leaders and led to believe things, and then he let us down, and neither me or any of the guys in my class went back to youth. And then when I was in 15 years old, the church that my, uh, we as a family, my family and I were attending, went through a big split, and uh, Shofar's had its own drama. If you've been following us for the last eight years or so, thankfully, that's all resolved. Praise the Lord. But then, after all of this, I'm like, why do I still love the church? When I think about it, I don't think, oh, man, the church is such a mess. I'm like, I love church. I love everything about church. I think church is fantastic. I think we have the uh, best-looking worship leader, hey, James, uh, on stage. Um, I think we've got the best people. It's you guys. Pat yourself on the back. Um, and I realized what it came down to is I had fantastic parents. And church was first something at home before it was ever something in a building. And I'm very privileged to be able to say that. I had a dad who read the Bible to us on a regular basis. At least once a week would sit down as a family and read the Bible. Every Sunday after church, we would have a family discussion about the pastor's sermon. I learned that it was not only okay, but even a good thing to question the sermon and go open the Bible and find out if what he said is true, right? I learned that uh, music is a fantastic instrument for praising the Lord. And I also learned uh, what, that, my, that churches are different, and that's a good thing, and it's okay. It's fine, because Jesus is the head of the church, and you'll have the final say of what happens. And, but that was drummed into me from a little kid from my father. It was my father that I saw leading worship or preaching a sermon. It was my father that, that discipled both myself and my brother in baptism. Um, I had a fantastic experience Because church was something that was first modeled at home. And then when I had been around the world, we traveled a lot as a family. We originally from Joburg and then different places in South Africa. Did a bit of a stint in Dar es Salaam. And parents 
went to church in Mexico in a church that, where they only spoke Spanish and a guy sat next to them and translated the sermon for them every Sunday. Um, Tanzania was church under a tree sometimes and, uh, until the one day we got a school hall that didn't have any walls, it was just a roof. Uh, not because it was a poor school, but because it was so hot you don't want walls. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was so fantastic, but then I've also been in church with the lights and the worship team, and it's, it's so amazing, the different expressions. It's so amazing. With all the, the drama that sometimes comes with the people, I sometimes think church would be a lot easier if there weren't people involved. You know, that's maybe, maybe my wife's introvert influence coming through. I don't know. <laughs> but there's this amazing thing that is church and God in his wisdom, for whatever reason, institutionalized it and said, he's not coming back for a person. He's not coming back for different people, but he's coming back for his, his church, his bride. Sorry, I'm, his bride church. <laughs> so, um, but I thought it would be interesting just to have a look because... Uh, we, we today, sitting in our context, we have gone to churches, and if you've been, like I said, if you've been around church, small group or having church in a home probably isn't a foreign thing, right? Pretty much most denominations, and I've seen just about all of them, have some sort of a smaller gathering during the week. Some people want to get really fancy with their names. It's not a small group, it's a Life Connect group. Um, or if you're really old school, it's a Bible study. Um, but it's more or less the same thing. It's, you get the larger groups where all the fantastic worship happens and so awesome. And then you get the smaller groups, right? You guys are more or less familiar with that format, right? And back in the day, if you were in Shofar George about seven, eight years ago, Amo had this little monarchy. And the one leg on this maniki was church, and the other leg on this maniki was small group. And it's still very relevant today. Church functions on those two little legs. Church on a Sunday, small group on a Wednesday. Okay, but that's nothing new. The church has, for the last 2,000 years, more or less fitted on that format. But it was a little bit different um, in the time of Jesus Round up, right after Jesus left and the church started to explode, we read in Acts chapter 2 about how Peter, uh, Pentecost happened, Peter preaches this amazing sermon. I wish they had that on, on, uh, on podcasts. Have a listen to that one. Uh, 3,000 people get saved instantly in Jerusalem. It's wild. Church starts to grow. And as the church starts to grow, the church also attracts unwanted attention and starts to experience heavy persecution. So the church went from meeting in synagogues in the open to they were scattered to the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. Um, if you read uh, James, you're reading a book and Hebrews, you're reading a book that was sent to people that was living around Jerusalem. 
um, people that were discouraged, people that had had to flee Jerusalem because of their faith. And for the first time, um, the church had to go underground. Not very, very soon into its history, the church realized that it was going to be a persecuted church. And uh, that was how it was for the first 300 years. Mostly, uh, with a few small pockets where Christianity was accepted, but mostly just because most of Israel was under Roman rule. Uh, the Romans declared that Christianity was a religion that was opposed uh, to their religion. Uh, not that the Romans had kind of this uh, Frankenstein religion. They kind of like amalgamated all the religions of the people that they conquered. And Christianity, for the most part, did not fit into that. And so, so began what, the persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire. And so Christianity was very much an underground movement, which meant that people did not meet in the open or in large buildings or in large groups. They met in people's homes. Church was first a small group before it was a large group. In the discussion of which came first, the chicken or the egg, small group came first for the church for the most part. And, but something amazing happened. The church grew roughly... 40% every 10 years. That's incredible growth. Okay, so to put that in perspective, it went from a small group of 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost to roughly somewhere about 3.8 million believers 300 years later. Okay, that's quite good growth for our church. Um, and there were, there were a couple of exceptions. Growth really boomed during times of, of uh, what would you call it, plagues. When plagues hit in the Roman Empire, the church boomed once again. It grew even more. Why is that? Because it was the Christians who stayed behind to serve the sick. Right? They had a bit of a different attitude. And then the growth of the church came to this grinding halt around about 312 AD, when uh, the current emperor of the Roman Empire, Emperor um, Constantine, he legalized Christianity. Isn't that weird? Church was growing under persecution as it was illegal, and then something weird happens. Church is legalized for the first time in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire recognizes, not just recognizes Christianity, but for the most part, it, it even adopted Christianity. And the growth of the church stopped. And the church has not experienced the growth rate like that since then. Okay? So... The church, for the first time, went from the home into the building. For the first time, um, church, instead of being celebrated in a home with a group of people around a dinner table, usually, it went into a building. And not only, not just any buildings, 
Now the buildings themselves became more noisy. And there's various reasons. There's some Christians that are a little bit cynical about that. But there's also there's good reasons why the church spent so much money building these very ornate cathedrals. And maybe you've seen pictures of them. There's like these old churches with like these gargoyles on them. And, you know, it like, looks very depressing. Um, and there's a very good reason because the church at the time still, even the, the church that was legalized building these massive cathedrals, they still had the mentality of this church at home, which was to serve the people around them. And the biggest need then was how do you communicate a gospel that was written down to a population that could not read? And so um, at the time, you had these, the, these amazing architects who dreamed of these buildings that could communicate the gospel. Depressing demons on the outside, very oppressive on the outside. On the inside, uh, would, there'd be pictures and depictions of the gospel that communicate. On the outside, without God, you're faced with, with, uh, with Satan. On the inside, with God, and often the, the cathedrals were shaped as crosses themselves, on the inside, with God, you would, uh, you would be safe. And the inside of these cathedrals would be as, as beautiful as the outside was oppressive very often. If you've ever had the privilege to go to Europe and see these beautiful, ornate cathedrals, and the heart of it, in the beginning at least, was very much this idea that the church needs to communicate the gospel in whatever form fashion to the people around. And so, but unfortunately, as the years progress, greed kicks in, um, the, the church uh, starts to get involved with politics and the gospel becomes corrupt. And then around about the 1500s, we have the Reformation which happened in Germany, actually. Hey, how's it going? Um, and uh, um, a man by the name of Martin Luther, he, he's a priest. But uh, what was very interesting in that time is that the church at the time, the Roman Catholic Church, very much discouraged people from reading the Bible. Um, that's a light way of putting it. Let's say it was illegal for a common person outside of the of the priesthood to have a Bible or to read a Bible. And even if you were a priest, Martin Luther being a priest himself, he only had access to the Old Testament. And it was after the nagging, he asked all these questions, nagged his superiors until one day they said, listen, you've got all these questions. It would just be best if you went to go study at the university and then you would have access to the New Testament. And then you can see for yourself what it says. And that's exactly what he did. Martin Luther went to go study the New Testament at a university, because that was the only place where he had access to the New Testament. And famously, he read Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Anybody want to know what it says in there that tipped Martin Luther over the edge, so to speak? Right? It is by faith. 
Yeah? Yes, precisely. So it was through grace by faith that we are saved. There isn't, it's not the building. We got lost in the building. It's not the money. We got lost in the money. It's not the religion. We got lost in the religion. It is simply through grace by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And that led to an amazing reformation where God redeemed the church. Um, it's why you and I can worship. We have access to the Bible ourselves. We can pick this up. You can sign up for a Bible school uh, class, and there's nobody going to be knocking at the door trying to throw you in jail. But with that also tends to come a little bit of a complacency because Christianity's got this weird thing. Just like the early church, Christianity seems to thrive in persecuted areas. Did you know that? The largest growing church today is in China. Did you know that? Where Christianity is illegal. In fact, every country where Christianity is illegal, the growth rate goes up. And I remember a couple of years ago, we had this man from uh, Jordan who came to our church when I was still in Shofar, Stellenbosch. And uh, I don't know what his name was because they gave us a, a fake name and we were told that we weren't allowed to have any cameras in the room and there were people that were walking down the corridors to make sure nobody took their phone out. Because if anybody took a picture of this guy and put it on social media, when he got back home, there would be people at the airport waiting for him and he'd be executed. Right? And I remember um, Pastor C.S. was interviewing him at the time and he asked him, um, what can we pray at the end of the interview? What can we pray for you? And he said, don't pray for me. We pray for you because I know that everybody in my church is a Christian. I don't know if you can say that about your church. Everybody in my church has to count the cost. Nobody in your church has to count the cost. Hectic. Human nature is that often when we get something for free, we don't tend to value it. Can ask Henriette about Bible school and handing out free passes. No, I'm joking. Right. When we when we sometimes and this is the this is the, the tricky thing because salvation is offered to us so freely. So freely. And yet there's a bit of us where we don't take it seriously. We don't value it. And much like the church. It's, it's almost like we thrive a little bit better when the whip is behind us. But the thing is that God isn't, hasn't called us to be slaves. He's called us to be sons. He hasn't called you to live under the whip. And we as the church need to wake up to that fact. Okay. But enough of that. Let's move on. The reason why I mention this is just because as we sit here, it's so easy to take for granted what we have. 
in this building. I mean, the worship is fantastic. Amen? All right? And I can, I can bet my two front teeth that there are people in the early church who would have given their lives for one service like this where they can, where they can worship with so many people openly and freely. We do it every single Sunday without thinking about it. And praise the Lord for that. Every good father who's gone through very difficult things wants their son never to go through the things that they've experienced. Absolutely. I'm not wishing any of that on you. Don't, don't get me wrong. So here's a question. Having said what I've said, should we disband the Sunday services and only do week, week, week uh, small groups? Who's, who's down for that? <laughs> I won't ask who that was. Why, why, do we, why do we do a Sunday? I mean, if the church was built on smaller churches, small groups, why do we, why do we gather like this? Why is the natural affiliation of church? Like when you think church, you don't think small group, you think church, right? Mura gemeente, right? Man, one day we'll have a real building like that. Um, so what are, what are we doing here? <laughs> Is, was Amu right with his little maniki with his two legs? Church, small group, okay? Church, small group, small group. And, and there's a very good reason for this because uh, we, tend, uh, we, we tend to get lost in what church is all about. The great thing about Sunday, why we meet on a Sunday, is because we come here to remind ourselves every week why it is that we gather. Why do we spend an hour just on worship? We are here to remind ourselves, it's not, our worship doesn't change God. Okay, our worship is for God, unto him, for him, absolutely. But in terms of changing, it doesn't change God. It changes us, the worshiper. We remind ourselves that this, everything is for God. Okay? And I know that sometimes those people going through a bad time, and they want to go cry in the back there with their friends. And, but it's not the time. It's actually not the time for that. You have a whole week and a small group talk about your issues. This time is the Lord's time. This time is the time where we turn our attention to the Lord. We focus on Him. It is about you. It's not about us. So, think about the two greatest commandments. What was the first one? Love the Lord your God. Right? And the second, love your neighbor. So, in a small group, we get to practice that second one. We can do it well. We're going to make good coffee. Sometimes there'd be good snacks. We practice good hospitality. Okay, the guys that are in a small group sometimes make sure that the couch is semi-functional. Well done, guys. Um, you know, we, we, we make people feel welcome. That's community. That's where, that's where life is going to happen. Okay, But we cannot forget that even while we meet in a small group, there's a greater reason why we meet. 
is to lift the name of God on high. Right? And so those things need to work in tandem. And so it's not, it's not that one group is better than the other. Okay? Because in, in, that, in the law, there's a hierarchy. Okay? There's first love your God, then love your neighbor. And the first one is more important than the second one. Right? Would you agree with me? Okay? It is more important to love God than to love people. Okay? But here's the way the paradox comes in. Okay? If you're guilty of breaking one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So you can't neglect the second part either. Right? It is most important to love the Lord your God. But you cannot claim to love the Lord when... You can't love the, the person sitting next to you. Okay. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 13. Let's read some, some scripture. This is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And there's a lot to say about this. But I think if we're going to look at anything or what a small group looks like, I think this is where it starts. Not that you have to start every... Um, small group with a foot massage. I mean, if, you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess, but you don't have to. But I think there's a lot to glean from this in terms of, um, you know, what we can get out of a small gathering. Um, and also, just a hint, hint, Jesus also says in this passage, uh, I give you this example so you could follow. So probably also a good reason to pay attention. Okay. So there's a couple of things to take note of. Um, so first off, John repeats uh, a very simple sentiment, which we all think is obvious, okay, but might not have been that obvious or necessarily that clear to the early church. It would have been something that would have to reiterate and that is that Jesus knew exactly who he was. When he washed the disciples' feet, he didn't do it thinking that he was this lowly servant. Oh, shame. I'm a slave. Oh, shame. Right? He didn't think that. We're going to read just now that he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. He knew that he was teacher and he knew that he was Lord. Okay, And he wasn't arrogant to claim that. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right to do so. Okay, if, somebody, if somebody else came and said, I am Lord, you go, okay, buddy, maybe just sit down. Relax on the coffee, okay? Shop. Maybe sign up for Bible school. Okay, we'd, we'd, but, but here Jesus knows who he is. So he knows that he is the king of kings, and it is that position that he gets on his knees to serve. When we think about serving people, okay, we have to understand that service, service is for the strong. It's not for the weak, okay? Strong people serve. Weak people, weak people never find an excuse to get on their knees and serve. Okay, well, always somebody else said to me if, Serving is beneath, beneath you, leadership is above you, right? Okay, let's read. From verse 1, I'll point out a few things. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, pay attention to verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now. But afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. This seems like a very logical, like when I remember reading for this, this seems like a very normative, logical response to the Savior of the world washing your feet. Jesus, it shouldn't be you washing my feet. I should be the one washing your feet. Right? That sounds like... I understand my position. You are the boss. I am the servant. I wash your feet. Okay? And um, the response to this, when I remember reading this when I was a bit younger, it, it, I never got this response. This is, this is like, wow, Jesus, you really escalated this very quickly. Okay? Just talking about a foot washing, like I thought we were having a good time, you know, and now all of a sudden... You know, you don't, I won't let you wash my feet. I even offer to wash your feet, and I can't be part of the group anymore. You know, John would have never done this to me. Right? Do you understand? It's like, I remember reading this, like, this is a bit extreme. It seems very normal that I should want to wash Jesus' feet and not the other way around. Right? Okay, but let's read on. Um... Oh, I also wanted to point out in verse 7, Jesus says, very interesting, says, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. This is also a good reference to the fact that understanding is not a prerequisite for obedience. Right? And we need to be careful of the spirit of rebellion when we always need to understand first before we do what Scripture tells us to do. Okay? Understanding is good. And I believe that the Lord wants you to understand. But sometimes in his wisdom, he says, you don't understand now, but you will. There's that promise. You will understand. But I just need you to do what I tell you now. Okay? When you have a toddler, you will understand this very well. Okay? I know you don't understand why you have to brush your teeth every day. Okay? But one day you will understand. So just do what I say before I show you. Right? Daily conversations. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, verse 9. Simon Peter... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I missed the crux of the thing. Verse 8. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Shucks, okay, cool. But extreme. Simon Peter said to him, I love, I love Peter, one extreme to the other, okay? Okay, well, hey, Lord, if you, you know, offering up a foot wash, 
What about my hands, my head? Let's just go for the whole enchilada, okay? <laughs> Peter. Uh, Jesus said to him, verse 10, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he, know, for he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So just to, just to reiterate, um, we read about foot washings, and it might be a little bit foreign to us. It might be that there's a special occasion where foot washing, but this was quite a normative part of their culture where you would arrive at somebody's house and they would at the very least give you water to wash your feet. Right? Because you must understand that these guys walked around in dirt roads and um, sometimes, you know, it's not like these cities had advanced sewage networks as well. So you were walking around in the muck and the filth and the and so part of the culture was that you'd come to somebody's house and they would, at the very least, just as a matter of hospitality, offer you water to wash your feet, right? And uh, in, in some circumstances, if, if it was a very revered guest, you would wash their feet for them. And so, uh, the, the Israelites had a, had a very... Um, what did you say? You had, they had a lot of uh, cleanliness rituals built into their culture. And, and the foot washing thing was, was one of them. And that was also why Jesus would go into people's houses. And it wouldn't be uncommon for, because uh, we read a few stories where a lady would wash his feet. Right? That, that wasn't, that wasn't un, uncommon that somebody would see somebody else washing their feet if it was a revered guest. Yeah, but what was uncommon here was the guy who had the highest honor should have been getting the foot washing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why Paul is saying, that's why Peter is saying, it shouldn't be you washing my feet. You are the esteemed guest. Right? This is the same Peter who had that revelation about God. You are Christ, son of the living God. Are you with me, right? And so now, and and so Peter takes this whole cultural thing to a little bit of an extreme because it wasn't it wasn't normative in the culture to have like okay we're going to go for like a full wash down. It was it was the feet, right? Because you'd be clean. It's not like you're rolling around on the floor to get to your neighbor's house. You would walk to your neighbor. It was your feet that were dirty. That's this is why Jesus was saying. It's only your feet that need cleaning, Peter, okay? Don't get weird on me here. Keep your clothes on, please, okay? It's just your feet that need washing. Um, and then Jesus, knowing what was going on with Judas, he kind of pulls this over there. But not every one of you are clean, for he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher, verse 13, pay attention here, it's the same thing that I mentioned. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, so think about this for a second, okay? Greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Your whole being, alas. 
Okay, and then second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but I'm going to give you an example. Okay, so now this guy, who I'm supposed to love first, is now getting on his knees to wash my feet. So now when I think, now often we, we see this in the context of serving the people that come to church. We need to wash their feet. And that's a very good example, but that's a, a separate sermon. I, wanna, I want you to see this from the perspective of a leader, okay? You're now not the person that is receiving the foot washing. Like I said, that's good. It's a good sermon, but it's a different sermon. This sermon is, you are disciples of Jesus. You have been, you have been in church for a while. You know Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you want to do community with people, you want to show hospitality, then the onus on you, what Jesus is demonstrating to you, is that position gets on their knees to serve. The guy who we're supposed to love with everything, no questions asked, to death if necessary, with joy, that guy is getting on his knees to serve. Oh, okay, shucks. Okay, but what about this part where, okay, now if you don't receive the foot washing, then, okay, so this is a good way to like suss the people out in your group, okay? In your small group. Do foot washing, they don't want the foot washing, just chuck them out, okay? No, that's a joke. Don't do that, please. Okay? Some, and there's, let's be honest, some of the guys, small groups, you just want to keep the shoes on, right? Uh, just, just wash, just like put the whole shoe in the bucket, just wash the whole thing. <laughs> that shoe probably hasn't been washed in a while, it's just, you know, just put the whole thing in, okay, it's fine. Scrub, handy, handy, okay? Um, so there's, there's something here where, where we focus on the people that we're serving. Now, it is very necessary to focus on the people that you're serving secondly, right? But Jesus' highest priority was to worship God. See, this, what Peter didn't understand was that he thought that this foot washing was about him. But actually, this foot washing was about glorifying the Father, Okay, so let's, let's read. I'm going to explain a little bit more. Okay. Um, verse 15. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen, pay attention to this. I want you to think about this. A servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Okay, so this is the big clincher. Okay. Peter, why am I telling you to go away if you don't want to receive a foot washing? Because Peter, actually, this isn't about you. See, Peter, I am on this, on this planet to make one declaration. That my Father in heaven, who I only do what I see doing. In fact, I'm so with him that if you saw him, you'd see me, Right? Maybe, those, maybe that sounds familiar. Maybe you've read through the Bible. That's what Jesus said. Not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. This is Jesus' mission. It's not about him. And then he says to the disciples, okay, a messenger 
is not greater than the one who sent him. Okay? And a servant can't be greater than his master. So what he's saying here is, okay, if I wash your feet, that makes me the servant. Right? You with me? Servants wash feet. If I wash your feet, I'm a servant. And if I'm a servant, I can't be greater than God. You see the connection here. Jesus is saying, Peter, I need you so I can make a declaration in front of all of you that my father is the greatest. I need to be a servant. And in order to be a servant, I need to serve people. So Peter, this actually isn't about you. And if you're going to get in the way of me glorifying my father, I'll go find somebody else. So we need to we need to understand our position in the body of Christ, but we also need to not overestimate. We, you need to understand that you're a son, daughter, you have position, but don't overestimate your position. Your position comes secondary to the person that is God our Father and Jesus who is glorified. And Jesus will not get off his throne for you. And so when you're leading a group, when you're in a small group, do not be tempted to make everything about the people that are in the group. But you need to get that group to understand that everything is about our Father. That is why I'm here. It's why we do fellowship. It's why we do church on a Sunday. Okay? Does that mean we don't care about you? No, we do care about you. Secondly, are you with me? First, love the Lord your God. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we are doing church at home, I think one of the reasons why I love church so much is not because my father showed me how much he loved people. It's because of how much he showed me how much he loved God. Because when you start involving people, it's going to get very muddy very fast. You know that if you've been around the block for a bit. Right? <laughs> you know that. But God stays the same. And when we make it about Him, our churches will be consistent. And our small groups will be constant. I could fail tomorrow. You must pray for me. But God will remain the same. Are you with me? And so this foot washing thing, it is very important. The Peter is very important. Don't get the mistake. Jesus values Peter. But Jesus is here to do his father's will. Not Peter's will. Peter, it's not about your foot washing. Okay? I'm not going to wash your head. I'm not going to wash your hands. Your feet. Okay. So there's a couple of things, just on a side note, I'm going to finish up now, that you can only do in a small group. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of people here, okay? Um, and one thing that we found out during COVID is that when the bad times come, when there's persecution, we can't meet like this. But you can meet in a small group, right? 
it's one of the amazing things about small group. Here's another thing, is that it's very difficult to do uh, ministry, talking about the ministry where you pray over one another, read psalms to one another, do life together in a group like this. Because in a group like this, I do the talking, you do the listening, right? You're not talking to your neighbor, and if you were, I'd probably go, hey, Athana, you can talk to your friend afterwards. I know she was like best in the class and everything, but just hang on, okay? Right? Calm down. Um, it's, it, you, we can show hospitality in a church, sure, and coffee goes a long way, but it's something else going to somebody's home. Huh? You ever notice that? It's like one thing, like I love coffee shops. If you ask anybody that knows me, you know that I like to spend time in a coffee shop. Okay, uh, I get a, into trouble sometimes for spending too much time in coffee shops, but almost still loves me. <laughs> and um, but there's something else when somebody when you get that person into your home, right? I, I've seen the value. I've seen it's like I can have ten coffee dates with somebody, but I spend one evening with them in my home, and it's it's just a different story. Getting people in your house, they see how you live. They see how you scream at your children, right? They see that you haven't washed the dishes since yesterday, right? They see, like, kids' clothes lying on the floor when they go to the bathroom because the kids have just taken a bath, right? It's, it's life. There's, it's messy, but it's good, you know? It's, it's something else. And, peop- and when people want, when they, I've seen when people want to connect with me, they want to see what makes Luke tick, are you with me? And, and it's probably about anyone. You want to get to know anybody? Well, you don't really know them until you've seen how they live. All the married people say amen. Okay? Yes, all the single people are like, oh, shucks. You have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah. They like more no, but uh, <laughs> farts in the bed, just saying. And you won't find that out until it's too late. All the married ladies say, amen. <laughs> Keep that information to yourself. Uh, and it's also a place where you're going to be held accountable. Okay? And there's two different roles. So church, we're going to focus on the Lord. And I really want to encourage you, next time, next Sunday you come, I want you to pr- prepare for this. Okay? If you're having a bad week, pray about it before you get to church. Because you've got a, a leader is in the mindset that when I come to church, I'm here to focus on the Lord and what He needs to get done. And we do ministry in church, and that's a good thing. We're going to do ministry just now, okay? But a leader is focused on not what ministry do I need, but what ministry can I give to the body, okay? And if you need ministry, by all means, get it, please. This is not a get, do not get, okay? So please, if you feel that you need to be prayed for, get prayed for. But I was taught that a leader first goes to pray for other people before they need prayer themselves. And we need to get into that mindset that when we come to church, we are here for His will, not my will. In fact, so much so that I will stand on Scripture that says, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those other things will be added. So when I go to church, I'm going to first seek him. And all the things that I'm dealing with, all those issues, I'm going to have faith that those things are going to get sorted out because that's what the word of God says. Right? And then when we come to church, when we come to small group, we need to be prepared to wash people's feet. Right? And yes, they need it. But also, because for us, we need that reminder. We need that reminder. We as leaders need that reminder that we are not greater than the one who sent us. Are you with me? Let's stand together.